Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we are enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about redemption, you can go to redemptionseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. Awesome. Hey, welcome again to Redemption Church. If you are a guest with us, we want to just extend a warm welcome. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And it, it really does, we say this repeatedly, but... Um, If you're a guest, you don't hear this repeatedly. It means a lot to us that you're here this morning in Green Lake, in Seattle. Um, We we know that you could do other things, so whether you were invited here by someone, whether you're looking for a church home, whether you're just curious about, hey, I've heard about Jesus a lot, I've heard about church a lot, Um, whether you were in church growing up and you haven't been in church in a long time, you're welcome here. This is a safe place where you can bring your questions, where you can bring your your doubts, where you can bring your fears, where you can bring all of that. We want you to investigate, and we believe that the most important thing that you can investigate is is who Jesus is. That's the biggest question that, that we have to answer is, really, who is Jesus? Because the answer to that, what we believe about that, has massive implications for all of our life. And so here at Redemption, we talk a lot about our mission, which is to enjoy Jesus, because we believe that he's enjoyable, out of that, to love people because of how he's loved us. And because we love people, we want to see disciples made. We want to see others come to, uh, into a relationship with Jesus that's absolutely life-changing because we believe in the gospel. We believe that Jesus changes everything. So welcome this morning. We're finishing up James. We've been in there. This is our 16th week, and we're wrapping it up. This has been a great series. I hope that you've gotten a lot out of it. If you've been coming, you're a part of the family. Um, I, I hope that some of the practical implications of James have really hit home, have challenged you. I know that they have for me. And what we've seen from the beginning, what our series has been called, is um, really putting faith to work. James hits this idea that our faith cannot be one that is stagnant. He says, faith without works is dead. And so even as we come to the conclusion this morning, everything really is under the umbrella of faith because it's the focus of what James is really sharing with the church, what he's encouraging the church in, Jesus' brother. A faith that really does work, a faith that's active in how we actually live our day-to-day lives. How we live tomorrow morning when we go to work, when we're home with kids, when we go to school, when we interact with others, whether that's, and here's what we've seen, whether that's facing trials, whether that's in how we treat one another, whether that's in how we speak, how we listen and hear, how we think about money and our possessions, how we think about our identity, our identity here on earth, but also where we're headed that this isn't it, that there is heaven, that it's real. Even how we approach suffering, as we looked at last week, and we'll look at a little bit more today. But this idea that James hits home time and time again, and James doesn't really, um, he doesn't hide from it. He's very honest. He's very straightforward. That if you've been changed by Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, the faith that you claim to have, it must go from inward to outward in all of life. And so we're going to look at these last few verses today, and I don't know if you've ever, um, well, I know that you have. I was going to say written a letter, and that may not be true. You may be like, I've never written a letter. What is that? Um, But even typed an email, let's say that, to someone, and you get to the end, and you remember all of these things, these last things that you want to say, and you can't help but include them all. That's a little bit of what James does here. There's a lot. It's kind of like um, some just last thoughts 
But I do believe that all of these things are connected under this umbrella of faith, and you'll see that this morning. But before we jump into this, especially with this passage, it's been weighing on me really heavily because of some of the implications of it, because of some of what we're going to do today as we respond. I just want to pray for us, and I want to pray over us that God really would soften our hearts in some ways, that he would take away maybe some doubts that we walked in with this morning, doubts um, about him, his ability doubts about how much he cares about us in our day-to-day, how much he cares about our suffering, how much he cares about our own doubts, how much he cares about our fears, how much he cares about our family, how much he cares about our future. Even as we were singing that last song, you're my future in my past, I love that. It's so encouraging. But sometimes that's really hard for me to believe, especially that he's my future, meaning that he's already there, that he actually knows how this or how that is going to turn out, how it's going to work together for good in maybe a way that I can't currently see. And so let me just pray for us before we get into this passage. Jesus, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that you relied on in your ministry here on earth, that you would maybe release some control that we're holding on to, um, some doubt that we just have even about you and about how you hear us, how you answer us. God, some fears that we might have this morning. God, for anyone in here that may be a bit skeptical just of church and and you in general, I pray that you would do the work of the Spirit and move and show truth and replace lies with truth, show love where there's fear, show kindness, show mercy, show compassion. And God, I pray that you would encourage us, especially as it comes to our relationship with you, our intimate relationship with you and with one another. So Jesus, thank you that you lead us. Thank you that you are here. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. We pray that you would be active this morning in powerful ways. We pray that you would bring healing today to lives. We pray all of these things with as much faith as we can muster, God. We pray these things in faith. And so thank you for your word. And even as Zach said, may it, may it transform us in a way where we don't leave the same as we came in. Jesus, we we give this time to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you want to turn here, um, whether it's on your phone, whether it's in the Bible, or whether you want to look at the verse that's going to be up here, we're going to be in James 5, starting in verse 12 that you heard read, and we're just going to dive right in. We're going to get going here. Here's what James says in verse 12, and verse 12 is kind of sectioned between, it's like it's on its own a little bit, um, between the last section on suffering that we looked at and these final words, but here's what James has to say. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So this comes in the back end of suffering, and I think that it's easy, I don't know if you found yourself here, but it's easy to make promises to God and to others, especially in these times of trial or suffering when the weight's heavy, then maybe we don't really think about the weight of that or we never really intend to keep. And instead of doing this, James just says, simply be truthful. So what he says here isn't so much about the oath as it is about being truthful. He says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Don't fall under condemnation here. Don't, don't, don't say or promise something and that you never intend to keep or that you can't keep. Instead, just be truthful. Let the words that come out of your mouth speak truth. Be honest. Be honest with God, be honest with yourself, be honest with those around you. 
And even though it seems a little bit disconnected here, I think this is actually a pretty decent lead-in into the final section here of James as he gets into this idea of prayer connected with faith. Because both effective prayer and effective faith require the component of honesty. They were honest. The idea of fake it till you make it doesn't really work here when it comes to prayer and faith. Although sometimes that's where we find ourselves. Praying prayers that we really don't believe will be answered. Acting as if we have more faith than we really do. And instead, it's far better to come to God in this posture of honesty and humility. Even if the honesty that we have with him is simply confessing, I really do doubt right now. God, I really do doubt that you are going to do anything or change my situation or meet me here. God welcomes that far more than he welcomes us coming with a posture of maybe pride or just a posture of trying to put on a good face. He wants us to be honest with him. And so he invites us to come, but honesty is obviously one of those necessities of prayer and faith. And I absolutely believe that God is all about meeting us in those places, in those spaces. And so as we think about that, I would say just reflect right now and approach these next few verses seeking to really have an honest heart toward God as you think about yourself, as you think about your life, as you think about those around you. And here's what it jumps into in verse 13. It says, if any among you are suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. So we see this truth here that prayer is not simply something that we go to when life gets hard. He says, are you suffering? Pray. Are you doing great? Sing praise, which is prayer, put to music. Are you sick, as he's going to get to in a minute? Pray. So why does James put such a heavy emphasis on prayer here? Because prayer is so intimately connected to our faith. You absolutely cannot disconnect authentic, heartfelt prayer with authentic, heartfelt faith. And James knows that. That when we pray, it's so closely and intimately tied that we are believing that God in that prayer, in the way that he wants us to approach him, that we are believing that he will meet us there in our prayers, in our communication with him. That God has the power and ability to answer our prayers, to move in our lives and the lives of those around here. You can't disconnect the two. And James knows that. And so he puts this very heavy emphasis on prayer. And I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but in a church like ours, in the way that we believe that God is sovereign, that God is all-knowing, that he's known from the beginning, the end, that he knows what your life will look like and how it's plotted out and all of those things. Have you ever asked this question, if we believe that God is sovereign and he already knows everything, then why even pray? Why would I even ask him for anything if he already knows what he's, what he's going to give me? Why would I ask him to do anything in anyone else's life if he already knows how that's going to turn out? I've, I've wondered that before. Like, why do, we actually, why do we actually pray? Why do we need to seek God in these areas if he's already all-knowing? I think that's a really good question. I would say, I would say this for, for two reasons, and we could honestly talk about this for an hour. We're not going to, but for two reasons, and maybe think about this further. I love this, that God's heart, what we see in the Bible, that God's heart is moved when we pray. It's amazing. And I will honestly tell you, how does that completely work out? Don't know. (laughs) But it does. And he is. We see this as even an example in 2 Samuel 24. It says this, David built there an altar to the Lord and and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And here's what it says. And thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land and the plague was held back from Israel. 
And here is, I think, a bit of a good explanation of this. That God's sovereign plan that was in place before time, yet we see that it was pushed along by the prayers of his people. God doesn't need prayers to act or move, but he chooses to move his plans along through the prayers of his people. And in doing that, he not only accomplishes his will, but he is further glorified by showing himself to be a personal God who hears and answers the prayers of his people. And that's a lot to dive into, but that God is glorified when we come to him in prayer, that his heart is moved when we come in prayer. He invites us in. And secondly, it shows our trust and belief that God is able, that he's able to come into the messy situations in our life for the lives of others and sort them out. He's able to take what others have maybe given up on or tried to put back together. He's able to take even a diagnosis that seems certain, and he's able to bring miraculous healing. This is really where the outward actions show what we really believe and who or what we really trust in, inwardly. This is why we pray. This is why we talk to God. This is why we reach out to him when we're suffering. This is why we sing praises to him in good times. This is why when we encounter sickness, we go to him. And so the first question here that we need to really ask is, I think, of ourselves, and we need to be honest again, is are we praying? Is this the first place we go? Is this the first place we go? Do we go to God? Or, or when we encounter something difficult or challenging or in need, is the first place we go to our own abilities, to problem solving, to anger maybe, or even despair? And, and I'll just be honest, I really struggle with this. I was thinking back when, when Laura and I found out that growing a family would look a lot different and be a lot more challenging than we originally thought it was. The first place that I went was not to prayer. The first place that I went was not to God. The first place that I went was to problem solving. Some of you can relate with that. How do we fix this? What can I do? The second place I went was to anger. How I'm trying to fix this isn't working. It's not working fast enough. It's not working at all. I can't figure it out. The last place that I went or the next place that I went was to despair. I feel kind of hopeless in this. I don't know what to do. And then finally, went to prayer. Now, If that was you and me, I would probably be really upset that you didn't come to me first if I had these abilities and I I welcomed you. The beauty is that God is so gracious that even when we go to one, two, and three before him, he still says, I still want you to come to me. I'm still going to meet you here. I'm not going to hold a grudge against you. I have some areas to work on you, but I welcome you. Some of you can probably relate with that because we're stubborn, (laughs) because we don't trust that maybe He's going to answer our prayers the way that we want. But I think this is an honest question that we have to ask is where do we go? Where do we go when we suffer? Where, where do we go even in the really good times? Is the first place that we go to praise or is the first place that we go, and meaning praising God, or is the first place that we go and praising ourselves? Thinking I did this when really it was God hand, God's hand all over it. So, so where are we going? Are we going to prayer? And let's just acknowledge this. I think it's good is that prayer isn't always easy. In fact, I think that prayer can be really challenging and it can be really difficult because if we approach it in the right way with the right posture and honesty, here's what it does. It exposes us a bit. It it requires trust. It requires loosening our grip on areas of our life that we really want to control. And instead of 
handing that over to God instead of confessing to God, God, you, you are more able. God, I really do believe that you have better plans. God, you see what I don't see. We oftentimes want to hold on to that and try to figure it out on our own and keep it close. It also, it also tests our faith in major ways because you know this. God may not answer the prayers the, the way that we hope he will, the timing that we hope he would. He may have a different plan plotted out. And the question is, are we okay with that? If you're one of his children, if you have a relationship with him, are you okay with that? Are we okay with saying, I'm, I'm going to bring this to you in faith, even if you don't blank. Even if you don't answer this in my time frame. Even if you don't give me what I think would be good for me. Even if you have a different plan altogether. Even if this is here for a reason and you're trying to use it to grow me in some way, am I okay with that? And I think that even when that's really challenging, which it will be, still go to him and share that. God, I'm having some difficulty here being okay with this. I really believe you're growing me in faith and I feel like I don't even have that much faith right now, but maybe with the faith that I do have, I'm still bringing this to you. And that's the beauty of what we believe about God is that it's not some 50-50 thing between us and him. That it's not, it's not him reaching down and us reaching up and hoping that our hand connects with his if we reach up enough. He's reaching all the way and he's scooping us up like kids that are in danger. And so even when we go to prayer, when we're doubting, when our heart is wrecked, when we don't want to, when we're broken, when our prayers look more like screaming matches with God because we don't understand, he still says, I want you to come to me because you're my kids. And the beauty is with the faith that we don't have, he has enough for us and he meets us there. And he continues to grow our faith and strengthen our hearts because that's just the kind of dad that he is. He's so patient with us. But man, prayer can be tough. So let's just acknowledge that. James continues here and he he says, if, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this idea of, of oil here and the anointing with oil, Alex wrote a great article on this. We posted it this week. You should definitely check it out if you haven't. Why do we do this in the church? Why do we believe in this? Even here at Redemption, anointing with oil, why do... Why do we believe that's not just even a suggest, it's not just something that James is suggesting here, but it's a command. So oil, um, this idea of anointing with oil, there's, there's kind of twofold, medicinal and sacramental, and, and here's what this looks like. So olive oil was considered in, in ancient times really a cure-all ointment. It was used on the skin. They would use oil a lot. It was for this medicinal purpose. And so James knows, and, and obviously in writing the Bible, people would understand this. They would get that. It's this kind of identifier. Yes, oil is used for these medicinal purposes. So we're going to anoint with oil, knowing that oil has been used to heal in certain ways. And so it had medicinal value in the, in the community around would have totally understood that. But that's not the only reason that we do that. We don't believe that the oil in, it, in and of itself is going to do the miraculous work of healing in the way that God says that he will heal and meet us there. It's also sacramental. This idea of being set apart for the purpose of God. So when, as elders, we anoint with oil, what we're saying is really twofold, that we believe God has the power to heal, just as the oil offers healing power, and that we are specifically and prayerfully handing you 
and the illness over into his hands, praying by faith that physical healing will take place. So the oil doesn't have magic in it, but it's this response of faith. And this isn't easy either. Some of you in here right now, you've had an illness for a long time, maybe a chronic illness. And maybe you've been in churches where they've done this before, where they've anointed or lay hands, and, and, and maybe honestly that's been a really bad experience. Maybe it hasn't gone well, maybe in the way that things were approached, maybe in how things were said, maybe in promises made, and maybe you're just like, you know what, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. I kind of just glance past that, I push that off to the side. It's also difficult because if we have an illness or a sickness and, and that's been maybe a part of our lives for a long time or maybe it, it hasn't, it, it, is, it is this requirement to step forward in faith again, needing to trust, not doubt, that God is going to meet us there and that he's absolutely able to heal. And so not doubting and approaching with expectancy, but at the same time, are we okay if his healing looks different than, than what we would desire? And that's not easy either. Are we still willing to step forward even if that healing doesn't come for months or years? Are we, are we willing to step forward in, in faith, praying that with, with as much faith as we can have and the elders praying over you in, in, in that healing has either a different time frame or it looks differently altogether or are we okay with that? Are we okay in those spaces and places that are a little bit messy? And, and what James says is, is step forward in faith here. And I would even caveat that with, we know it's not easy. But here's the beauty of community and Christian community is is that we're really, even though you're stepping forward in faith to be anointed, we're stepping forward with you. I think we have to embrace that. Is that when, when you face a sickness, when you face an illness inside of this church, we need to be a church that comes around and helps bear that burden. That we're not going it alone. But man, it can be really challenging. But we want to be a church that believes in the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in such a way that we would pray those prayers. And so even today, when we, when we wrap up and when we respond, we're going to have uh, elders in the back that are, have oil and, and would welcome you, would invite you, and you may say, you know what, I, the doctor already said this, I, I totally get that, but we still believe that Jesus is a powerful healer. We believe that God is able to do far beyond what we could ever understand, and he says faithfully come, and so we faithfully step forward. And we invite you there. Don't, don't hold back. I know it may be difficult and even share that as you come, but, but James says here, step forward, allow the elders to pray over you, anointing him with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now, just to make it really clear right here, James is not talking about salvation. He's literally talking about the illness itself. It's kind of the picture of someone not being able to use their legs, not being able to walk. And he's saying that the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. It'll take this away and the Lord will raise him up literally from his bed. So not from the grave. It's like, whoa, whoa. So if you anoint me with oil today, I'm saved. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's make that really clear. James is specifically talking about healing here, physically healing. And it says, if the one who has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And this is important here because um, what he's saying here is that not only will you be physically healed, but if the injury or illness resulted from sin, 
Forgiveness is given through Jesus, meaning that the person who is sick because of their own sinful actions, whatever that may be, the only way for the elders or for anyone else to know about this would be through the person's honest confession, sharing that. And I think that's why James pivots to where he goes next in verse 16 when he says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And so James moves a bit here from physical healing to also bringing in spiritual healing, urging us to confess our sins to one another. And I love this one another language. It's so important, again, that we aren't going it alone, that we are a church, that we are a family, that we don't, we don't just come together and then totally spread out, but we believe that God has put us in this place to do life together, to encourage one another, to be with one another, that we have one another's backs. We're supporting one another in suffering, in seasons that are difficult, when the, when the end seems nowhere to be found and we can't see it, that we go to one another because of the common grace that we share, and we open up our lives, even the messy, broken, self-inflicted wound parts, and we receive care, we experience healing. As someone said in our men's group uh, this past week, we've been doing a, a morning Bible study going through Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, which has been amazing, by the way. Somebody said this when we were talking about confession. They said, confession can feel like the worst and the best thing that happened all at the same time. I think that's so true. Confession is something that can be very, very difficult for us. In fact, I think it's one of the most challenging parts of our life. I think it's one of the areas in our life that God has to work on us the most. This idea of actually confessing to one another, this idea of actually, of actually being open to sharing these things that we would much rather just keep in or keep to ourselves. Again, it exposes us. It brings us out into the light. Sometimes it forces us to look in the mirror, see the life that we're really living, and there's part of our life that we're really living that we don't want to look at. It obviously can affect some of our relationships, even our closest relationships. It can affect the relation, excuse me, with our spouse, with our family, with our friends, especially when the confession has to do with the relationship itself or something that's come into the relationship, there may be real consequences. And so confession can be very, very difficult, but it can also be so freeing, and it is so freeing. It frees us from carrying this weight on our own, the weight of sin bearing down on us. It allows us to be known, and it really is the beginning of healing and maturity. I wanted to read this just little section from Celebration of Discipline because I thought it was so amazing and I was like, instead of trying to put that in my own words, Richard Foster, you said it pretty well, so let me just read this to you. It says this, confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see them as a fellowship of sinners. We feel that everyone else has advanced so far into holiness that we are isolated and alone in our sin. We cannot bear to reveal our failures and shortcomings to others. We imagine that we are the only ones who have not stepped on to the high road to heaven. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and lived in veiled lies and hypocrisy. And that will just grind and grind and grind on you. But if we know that the people of God are first to fellowship 
of those who have sin. We're freed to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers and sisters. We know we are not alone. The fear and pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. We are in this together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. The discipline of confession brings an end to pretense. God is calling us into being a church that can openly confess its frail humanity and know that the forgiven and empowering graces and know the forgiven and empowering graces of Jesus Christ. Honesty leads to confession, and confession leads to change. May God give grace to the church once again to recover this discipline of confession. Man, I have felt that before. It feels like I can't confess this because nobody else has experienced this. I can't confess this. I feel like nobody else would understand. I can't confess this. I feel like everybody else is so far ahead of me in my maturity and my relationship with Jesus. And if we really opened up our lives and if we really went to one another in trusting safe places and confessed our sins, we would see that God is working on all of us in different ways, that there are broken pieces in all of our life. But the beauty is, is we confess that peace doesn't go away, but God, but God heals it. God puts us back together in unique ways. And so this is such a huge thing that we would confess in community. That when we sin against one another, we would go and we would confess. That when we have sin in our lives that we're fighting, that we're dealing with, that we're struggling with, whatever that may be, that we go to one another, brothers and sisters, and we open up our lives and we say, can you pray with me in this? I really need to share this. I can't go this alone. Confession, this is so huge, something that can be difficult, but it's something that's so important. And not only does James command us to confess our sins to one another, but he also to pray for one another. He used the example of Elijah and the power that um, prayer had when it comes to a clean and faithful heart that's not hidden. And what I love about how he uses the example of Elijah, he says, he has a nature like your own, meaning Elijah wasn't God. Elijah didn't have like spiritual superpowers, like he, he, he whipped out like these X-Men powers that he was like, all right, here comes an Elijah prayer. That's, that's not what we see at all, is that Elijah had nature like our, our own. He was, he was a man living here on this earth who lived and is no longer on this earth, and Elijah simply, he had faith. He believed that God was able, he believed that God was powerful, and he lifted up these prayers, and God answers these prayers, and James uses this as, as an encouragement to us to say, believe that God really hears and he answers he does. And so how do we pray for one another? I think that's a really good question. And I just jotted down a few things that I think come out of this even example with Elijah, but don't throw in the towel before the prayer is even prayed. Instead, pray in confidence. I mean, don't come just with absolute doubting, like, I don't believe you're going to answer this, but I'm going to loft it up there. Instead, it says, come with confidence. Pray believing, believing that God is able, believing that he loves answering our prayers. It's not a one and done. It says praying fervently, meaning continually, that we're pleading with God, that we pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, that we're praying for one another constantly, daily, that we're praying for something in our life constantly, daily, regularly, that as it's on our mind, we lift it up to God in prayer, that we don't just do these one and done prayers, but instead we have this lifestyle of prayer that we're living. Also, that we... Um, have humility over demands, meaning that we approach prayer in a way that says, God, for your glory more than my desires. 
that we approach prayer with open hands, trusting that God is a good father who gives good things to his children, who hears us there, who answers us there, even if the answers look different than we hoped they would, or even if, even if the plan takes a different route, whatever that is, that we would approach with humility instead of demands, that we would want his glory over our desires, and that we would understand that there's no magic in prayer as far as magic words. There's no magic words to say that it is this honest, raw conversation between the kids and the dad, and the dad welcomes the kids every time. This is the posture of prayers. We seek to pray for one another. And what I love um, is this line too. I read this this week, that at the heart of God is a desire to give and to forgive. That God loves giving to his children, and he, he also continually offers forgiveness. And so we confess our sins to one another. We pray for one another. We go to God with these prayers. James wraps up here by saying, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I love that this is included here, even though it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? It's like we were talking about praying in, in times of suffering. We were talking about praying in, uh, in good times, singing praise. We were talking about praying for the sick. And then James is like, oh yeah, by the way, last thing that I want to say here is, hey, go after, your, go after your brother or sister who have wandered away from the faith a bit. Go after them too. Isn't, here's what I want to say. Isn't that such an act of faith to go after our brothers and sisters who have wandered? I believe it's a massive act of faith. I believe it's absolutely cloaked in faith. That our faith is not contained just in what God can do on our behalf or behalf of those inside of this room or our family or the community that we're with. But that faith, but a faith that believes that Jesus has the power to bring back even the most wayward wanderer. That just like the prodigal, Jesus' desire in his mission, as he says, we see it in Timothy, what is it? I came to save sinners. This is my mission. This is what I'm all about. And so for you, as the people, my people, what I want you to do is I want you to go after your brothers and sisters who have wandered away, not giving up on them, but knowing that I have the power to change their heart, to bring them back into the fold. And just like that father that's standing up on the hill that sees his son coming and goes running for him, Jesus goes after the one. He leaves the 99, he goes after the one. And so would we be the 99 that go after that one? Would we step forward in faith, seeing that it's not just a singular individual relationship with Jesus, which is so easy to do here in our city because everything is individualized. We want to do everything on our own. It's all independent, not, not the family of faith, not this relationship. This is us in this together, and that's the only way that we can do this, is we have to see that we have one another here, that we don't just go hide away, but that our faith is communal. And it's a beautiful and it's an amazing thing that we get to walk into. And so we don't turn our back on our brother or sister who's wandered away. We don't give up on them. We have the faith that, that Jesus can bring them back. And here's what I want you to hear. And it's quite possible he's going to use you to do it. So keep praying without ceasing. Keep answering the phone. Keep having the hard conversations. Keep listening. Basically keep being a Christian even if they're not sure that they are. And I know that this hits home, hits really close to home for a lot of us. There are people who you've gone to church with, who you're in community with, who you've opened the Bible with, who you confess sin to, 
who have walked away from Jesus and who have walked away from the church. There are people that we've cried over. There are people who we've felt such deep sorrow for. Don't walk away. Answer the phone when the phone calls. Also, don't just shout Christian truths to an ear or a heart that's not open. Instead, maybe provide a listening ear. I'm going to be your friend no matter what. But in this friendship, I'm going I'm to point you toward Jesus because I love Jesus and I know he still loves you. So faith, faith that leads to truth-telling, faith that leads to prayer, faith that asks God to do the miraculous work of healing, faith that leads to confession and honesty, and faith that believes that no one is out of God's grasp. This is what James chooses to leave us with, to encourage us toward. And what I really love, and I'll just say it again, I know I've hit this nail on the head several times this morning, but it's because I really want us to hear it, and I believe James does too, is that all of this is done inside of community. We suffer and we celebrate together. When suffering, sickness, and their sin, when those are shared, we bear the burden and we help carry the load. And when prayers are answered, we share and we celebrate. We press forward and grow as faithful followers of Jesus, not to earn grace, not to look the part, but out of response to our faithful Savior. This is all centered and grounded in the gospel and the work of Jesus. That in faith, Jesus always told the truth, even when it wasn't popular and it cost him his very life because he knew how important the mission of redemption is. That in faith, Jesus prayed to the Father on many occasions, knowing that God heard his voice and would answer his call. In faith, Jesus offered healing to the sick, knowing the power of the Holy Spirit. That in faith, Jesus was always honest, even to the point of asking his Father that if there was any other way outside of the cross, would you allow that? But ultimately humbling himself to the Father's will. And in faith, Jesus went to the cross, took our sin, died our death, but left this beautiful, empty grave declaring the victory over all of our sin, over every doubt we've ever had or will have, over everything that we will need to confess or we have confessed, that Jesus declares victory over it through the cross, through the empty grave, that we are not and cannot be a people who put the faith to put our faith to work because we've worked for our faith, but we put our faith to work because Jesus, through the finished work of the cross, has transformed our hearts from stone to flesh, and he's called us to be a people set apart for his glory by faith. This is what James leaves us with. This is what he's been encouraging us with all along. Not this white-knuckling work for your faith, but because of what Jesus has done, because of the love of Jesus in your heart, would you look at things differently? Would you see people differently? Would you see our identity differently? Would you see your life here on earth differently? Would you have heaven in your sights, and would your life be an example of looking toward that in the way that you interact, in the way that you reach your neighbors, in the way that we pray for one another, in the way that we seek healing, that we don't just lift up flippant prayers, that we don't just pray with, without any faith at all, but we come to Jesus, who's so faithful gave his life for us and we say if you gave your life for me 
and you care about me that much that you would offer me eternal life, then I'm gonna trust you with this thing that's currently in my life. I'm gonna trust you with this thing that's currently in my friend's life. We're gonna come to you because we've seen over and over and time and time again that you are faithful. And it's not always easy and it's hard, but I promise you that Jesus knows your heart and he is willing to meet you there in it. And so even if you stumble forward, even if you fall forward, even if you don't know which way always is forward, would you have your eyes on Jesus, this loving Savior, this faithful Savior who left heaven, who came to earth, who did the work so that you could be known by him, by one another, not walking in darkness, but walking in light. And so as a response this morning, as we, as we conclude this book, and as we respond here just in worship, all of us are in different places today. For some of us, we have some, some hidden things, some things that we've been keeping in, and, and what we need to do is we need to sit for a minute, and we need to pray about those, we need to confess those to God, but we also, need, we also need to ask God that he would show us which brother or sister or wife or kid or family member we need to go to after this, and we need to confess and open up about that. Where there have been wounds, whether that is um, maybe an emotional wound, maybe something in the past that we haven't given over, that we've kind of kept control of, would we, would we by faith hand that over to God this morning? That if you are experiencing an illness, a sickness, and maybe you've had that for years, maybe you've had that for a day, that whatever it is, even though I know that thought that can bounce into my mind, is God really going to do this? Is God really going to answer this? Instead of, instead of just hanging on to those, would we hang on to the truth of the scripture that says God is a loving God who loves his kids, who loves giving to his children and who is a healer, that Jesus is a healer and would we step forward in that? Would we seek prayer from the elders today? Would we seek anointing today? Would you not think about the person next to you as much as God in front of you and allow him to meet you in in that place? Maybe it's sitting for a moment and it's praying for that brother or sister who's no longer really a part of the church or they've been disconnected for the church or they've kind of deconstructed their faith altogether and, and they don't know what they believe. They're, they're kind of looking for answers or maybe they think they found it in some other spaces. Jesus loves bringing wayward, the, the wayward children back home. And so pray for them today. Pray for them this morning. As we respond, there are a lot of different ways that we can respond, more than I even just mentioned there, but would we be a people who come humbly with open hands, responding in faith to our God who is so incredibly faithful, who is our future and our past, who has been before the beginning, will be there in the end, who we can trust with our lives.